Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have a very special podcast. I got my man, the Michigan man, as well. We share some similarities there and other things. He's the world champion of 2013 World Series of Poker. Ryan Reese, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Jeff? I'm good, man. I'm good. Daddy life, COVID life, crazy time. Uh, I think we can relate on this. Uh, you have three now, which I, I didn't even realize. Congrats on your your third. But uh, but yeah, tell me, tell me, how is it to be uh, a father, a poker player, and have three kids? Give me like the quick run out. How is it possible? How do you balance that? Um, well, I love it. It's awesome. It's kind of hard to balance um, now that we are in. Now that COVID and everything has happened, it's a little bit easier because. We're not traveling and playing poker anymore, so I get to spend a ton of time with the kids, which is awesome. But uh, but yeah, they're a lot of work, as you know, but so much fun. Yeah, it's it is it's it's a blast. It's it, it's always you know you can't really be ready for it, right? You just got to do it. Like if people wait to have kids, it's just never quite the right time. You just you just got to go for it and then uh, learn as you go. So all right, well we'll talk more about that. But right now, you know those that don't know you, you probably don't play poker. You are the 2013 World Series of Poker main event champion. Uh, you're from Michigan as well, East Lansing uh, from Ann Arbor. So we can definitely talk some Michigan sports. But I want to know, currently, the main event just happened this year, the second main event. I got to know on both topics, what do you feel about the second main event? They kind of, how do you feel about, like, they did a 5K online, position is the main, then they said, oh, now this is the real main event. Where do you stand on this topic? Um, it's, it's tough. Like I I love poker. I love poker tournaments. Um, I played both main events. Um, when they announced the second one, I was really excited. I think everybody was excited except for maybe the guy who won the first one. Cause he kind of like, I I assume he was under the impression that he was the main event champion as were most people. And then he kind of like had that stripped from him, which is kind of unfortunate. I mean, he has a lot of money, so he can't complain too much, but, um, there's a lot of extra things that are in, like incorporated in becoming the WSOP main event champion. So to kind of like believe that you are the main event champion and all of a sudden it's taken away, it kind of sucks. But, uh, but I think the new main event is awesome. Uh, logistically, it, it's kind of a nightmare with everybody traveling. Like you see what happened to Pesh. Um, very, very unfortunate. But um, I love poker. So if, if they're going to have huge tournaments where you can win a million dollars, I'm all for it. Right. And, and, and about this, the other second part of this, the, they made it pretty clear about the rules. COVID's obviously a real situation. Uh, they said, if you test positive, you can't compete. Where do you stand on that? Where, you know, what would you do based on what, what information was presented? And then he tests positive. What do you think the right way to go about it is? And, and based on what they did, do you agree? Or would you have done something differently? Um, yeah, the rules were stated beforehand. Everybody knew the rules before you registered the tournament. Uh, it's not really realistic to have the other players like wait a week because then what if they catch COVID during that week and then they're disqualified or something. So um, the the right, like generous thing to do, in my opinion, would be WSOP compensating Pesh and for the difference in ICM. I haven't done the math, maybe 100,000, 200,000, whatever it is. Um, I think it would look great for them. I think everyone would be like, wow, like, because most people don't think that the WSOP does much for the players and care- cares much about the players. They think it's more of a, they just do it for their bottom line to make money. So if they like went above and beyond to, to compensate him, I, I mean, 
it, it's a tough subject. Like it would be, I think it would make Pesh feel a little bit better. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Pesh and I've talked to him the last few days and it just really, it's just a really unfortunate situation. There's no, there's no like perfect solution. You can't make everybody happy, but if WSOP took a little bit of money out of their pocket to like help him, I think it would kind of make it better, but it's, it's tough. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 sort of, it is tough. I mean, to be fair, they did put the rules out there, right? They they stated the situation. You know, who knows what he was doing? Can't really can't really say, right? You catch it from however was he isolating? Did he? You know, I guess you got to travel, right? You got to travel there, so like, things can happen. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, all right, well, th- that is what it is. What do you think on the current state of poker? There's so much happening. Like, there's been big series during COVID online. The GG's done stuff. Party poker. These sites. Do you believe this is? sustainable do you think poker is in good shape moving forward or, or how do you kind of predict for 2021 what do you think is going to be 2021 and moving forward the the state of the industry that poker is in right now i mean online poker is probably bigger than it's ever been i mean gg poker it's incredible they have hundred thousand people on there every day it's insane um and then party poker had a great series they had that wpt online which was just an incredible little festival that they had poker stars has been doing a lot of things ACR had the venom. So it's great. But at the same time, if you have too many big tournaments, eventually money is probably going to dry up, which is bad long term. Like it's great short term for all the vendors. Everyone's making all the vendors are making tons of money, all the sites. But uh, but if they continue to have huge festivals all the time uh, across all the platforms, like there may not be much money left in a few years, but. But we'll see. I mean, if Bitcoin keeps going up, that's really good for the poker community. So that would help. Yeah, for sure. No, that's uh, that definitely seems to go hand in hand. Everyone, everyone's pumped up, and and overall, it seems to be a really good thing. Uh, that that's one of the questions. There's a lot. We're gonna get to Twitter again. 111 dollars ticket. If you guys want to ask questions, you'll be entered in there and uh, and and have a chance at that that ticket. I did see one talking about cryptocurrency and investments. Uh, is that something that you know post main event? You obviously have this ridiculously big score. Crypto was, uh, I think, what was it, 20? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a little later on where I think poker really got into it. But what about your your sort of diversification? Are you doing more investments? Do you like crypto? What are some of the things that you sort of found your way into after after hitting such big success in, in the poker tournaments? Um, well, I didn't get into crypto in 2013, unfortunately. That would have yeah. been very nice. Yeah. <laughs> if I did, I, I waited till. Uh, 2017 basically when everybody else got in but um but yeah i mean bitcoin is so useful for for poker players whether it's like easy ways to deposit and withdraw money on the sites um easy way to transfer to people you don't have to go through the bank you don't have to pay all the wire fees so i think i think cryptocurrency and bitcoin is amazing um so i'm a little bit invested in that also in the stock market and uh, I have some rental properties. So I'm kind of, I try to diversify as, as much as I can. For sure. And, and let's, let's flash back a little bit here. Just go, let's, let's go down memory lane on this, uh, your, your career. So we go back to 2012. You, you were born and raised in Michigan, right? East Lansing. You went to Michigan State. I know you're a big Michigan State fan. We, we have some friendly wagers once in a while on uh, Michigan uh, State, Michigan. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit about like what's going on here in college. Are you 
deep into poker. What year did you graduate? And, uh, and then I see, you know, you hit a big score. You're sure enough. I swear everyone on the podcast that plays poker, their first score was a final table. It's like 97% of the guests. Like I, I just think that like, if they don't, maybe they would have not gotten to poker or maybe just hooked them in. Uh, so tell me about 2012. Are you in college still? Are you out of college? And, and give me a little bit of background on your Michigan, uh, growing up and, and going to college. So give me that sort of early beginnings. Okay. So I graduated from Michigan State in December of 2012. So I was a C- I was getting ready to graduate when I went to Hammond and um, had that score. So I was actually a poker deal. I was playing poker like probably three or four days a week in college. And then I was also a dealer dealing three days a week, like eight to 10 hour days. Was that day. the club on the river or something with Dean Hamrick? Was that really, that was his spot where you were yeah. – that's where I was dealing. So I, I wasn't playing there because I was dealing there. There was another poker room called Trippers, which is where I would play. But I worked for Dean. I uh, I dealt tournaments in the PLO cash games. Crazy. So, yeah. I mean, I, I actually been up there. Both those places I've seen. I think Trippers I've been in and, and Dean's. I saw the, the the venue. Is that still going there? Is he still doing anything with poker or no? Because he was I know he was big into poker for a long time. Yeah, he was. I, I'm honestly not sure what he's doing. I, I know. Uh, I think he does a lot of real estate investments. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's doing great with those, but I, I, I know the, both of the poker rooms are no longer there. Um, interesting. interesting. Go ahead. There's like charities and charity rooms, or there was some up that way as well. Like where it's like a charity room aspect where you get chips and park goes to charity. I think maybe trippers was that I'm not sure. Yeah. But I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Trippers and, and club on the river or stacks. It, it had a few different names, but they, they were both, uh, they were both charity rooms. Actually, there is a, a poker room called Reno or at Reno's, which is a bar, but I'm pretty sure it's not operating due to COVID, but like pre COVID they did have one poker room, but, uh, but yeah, the, the whole poker scene in Lansing, East Lansing is pretty big. Like people would play all the time. There would be eight cash tables or so at trippers every day. It, it was pretty big for, for being a relatively small area. And and you were dealing, were you playing online then at that time? I guess Black Friday was what, 2011, April 15th. So this is after that. Like, were you, had you been grinding pre-Black Friday online or were you just like literally dealing? And, and how do you think dealing helped for you to become better at the game and watching hands and picking up on stuff? So, yeah, I was playing poker pre-Black Friday. Um, after, after Black Friday happened, obviously we couldn't play anymore. So I was just playing live, but, um, dealing is a huge help, I think for if you want to get into poker because you get to see all the hands with no bias so you don't you you don't have any cards so you don't have like a preconceived bias in your head like oh i want to so you get to just look at it just like as a spectator and you get to study you get to look at people when they're acting so you can pick up on live tells you can you can try to guess what they have while you're dealing and then when you see a showdown be like okay he was right i was bluffing or he wasn't so i think it's a huge help I, i mean it definitely helped me. I dealt for, I don't even know how many years, maybe five years or something. Um, yeah, I think I dealt from, yeah, I think I dealt, started dealing before I was allowed to start dealing, to be honest. But, but, uh, it's um, right, okay. Yeah. It's out of here. <laughs> Seven years ago, at least. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I've no, I think uh, Dean Hamrick may have dealt as well, or maybe I'm thinking Dutch Boyd, or there was someone else who was really well known, like around that time. It was like a, a dealer. And I think a lot of people do like your point. It's just, you're just immersed, right? It's like doing commentary, except you don't actually get to see the cards even. So you don't have a bias And your point. Like you got to, at some point you probably, you probably be like, 
kicking yourself because you're watching these juicy games go on and you're in there and you're like, I know this guy's bluffing. This guy's, I would fold. And like, you're just probably so dialed in and, and obviously you won the main event. So you know what you're doing. Uh, but probably at that time you were just thinking like, at what some point when you were dealing, you're just like, I got to get on the other side of this. I got to stop dealing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm crushing. I would crush these guys. That must've been sort of the mentality I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would deal at, at Dean's place. And then when I was done dealing, I would go to the other poker room 10 minutes down the street and play. And I would take the money that I made from dealing and go play with it and try to spin it up. So it's, uh, but, but yeah, the whole time I remember being in, I remember watching Greg Merson's final table. I was at Motor City down in Detroit playing like two, five cash game, or maybe even one, two cash game, really small stakes. And, uh, and I think that final table went till like seven in the morning. Didn't they play three handed forever? Yeah. And I remember watching it on TV and that's like right when I was, I was a little bit older. So I was, that was when November, 2012. So, so that was right after I what was, yeah, the November nine was then. So that was right after I won that. So I was starting to play a little bit more and I was just so excited to finish college. Cause I, I had to graduate. I wanted to get my degree just in case poker didn't work out right. and then, uh, and then play full time. So um, after I finished my last exam, so this was December 2012. I got straight in my car and drove to Borgata. I drove to Atlantic City. I didn't like walk. I didn't get my diploma. I didn't do like the whole graduation thing. I literally just got in my car. There was a poker tournament on the way in Ben's, Ben Salem, Pennsylvania or something. Some random like 2,500. So I played that, then went to Borgata, played there, and then went to LAPC. And I just started playing full time. So as soon as I was done with poker, yeah. that was school, poker was the... Poker was it. So, so this is, you're talking about November, 2012, uh, that, that, that happened on November nine, but you had this score right before. Was it like, what was this tournament? Why did you go? Was it on a weekend? Did you skip some school and what made you, uh, was this your first ever tournament or had you played one or two just didn't cash? Cause your first ever registered score is a huge one, a second place with a lot of entries in, in a uh, main event. Uh, and I've actually been to this place as well for like, they get ridiculous numbers. You can see 1,523 entries. So what, what, what was special about this and, and what made you go to that one during school? This is, a, this is a good story. So I was dealing at, at Dean's place and it was 11 at night and the room was kind of slow. So he told, he asked me if I wanted to leave. And there was my friend who was playing at the time. I was like dealing to him or whatever. And he said, Hey, do you want to go drive to, to Chicago? It's like a four hour drive. We can play day one B of the main event tomorrow. And I had like, $2,000 to my name and the buy-in was 1700. So I was like, okay, sure, whatever. Let's go for it. So I asked Dean, I'm like, Hey, can I, can I get off? Like, it's kind of slow. I, I'm going to go play this tournament. He's like, yeah, good luck. Go have fun. So we drive, we get to Chicago or we get to Hammond at three in the morning, four in the morning, maybe um, for the viewers who have never been to Hammond, there aren't many hotels nearby. Right. There are a few, it's like 15 minutes away, like a holiday Inn or something. And they were all sold out. Because this is a huge tournament. People drive here from all over the Midwest to, to play this tournament. And uh, so there were no places we could there was there was no place for me to stay. So I just sit down at the blackjack table and was like, I'll just play blackjack, I guess, for like eight hours until like we start to play. So I was sitting down playing blackjack. I, I buy in for like the two thousand dollars to my name, all my money. And I'm down to a hundred bucks, Jeff. No. no, and I'm like, no, I'm gonna lose it all. I I run the hundred dollars back up to seventeen hundred or eighteen hundred or whatever. I cash out and I go buy into the tournament. I'm like, okay, now I can't lose it. Then I like take like the last hundred dollars I have. I like go get some food, 
So I was like literally all in, had 100% of myself, didn't sell any action, nothing. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then, so I didn't sleep that whole night, played, played the tournament. And then afterward, I, I, I saw some friends there. So I, they had a hotel room. So I went, I slept on the floor because there was no, there were no other rooms. There was no other beds. Wow. So I slept on the floor and then made a run. It was a three day tournament. Yeah. Three day tournament. And, uh, the third day was actually really crazy because we started at noon. There were 29 people left and they said, we have to play to a winner. And it was like 90 minute levels or 75 minute levels or something really slow. Mm-hmm. So we finished at seven 30 in the morning after starting at noon and I had no sleep basically that whole, the last like three days. So I was like completely done, but it was life changing money for me, obviously at the time or for still it would be. So this is, um, this is out there, this is out there on the story list. Like I got to say, I need like, I might need uh obviously I believe you. It's just that crazy. So what happens if you hadn't have, if you had lost that last hundred at the blackjack table, or would you have, you think someone would put you in? It's uh, you took a hundred percent of yourself, your entire role. You just everything. I, I swapped 4% like after day one with people. Um, but yeah, I didn't sell any. If I, if I lost that hundred dollars, I would have just like waited until like they were done probably. And then like drove back with them. I don't even remember if I drove or if my friend Elliot drove, I'll have to ask him, but uh, that's absolutely insane. So then you get back the hundred back in, you, you, you just roll it. Like, so what was your plan? If you didn't cash or whatever, like you just, you would have just gone back and dealt or asked someone for a couple hundred bucks and just like gone about your business and restarted. Cause like you didn't have any money online. You weren't playing on, on I guess online black Friday had happened. And like, what you just, you literally, that was it. That was your case money. Yeah, it was my case money, but I was a dealer at the time. And back then being a dealer was pretty, pretty lucrative. I, I would make like $800 a week in cash, okay. which when, which is good, like just tips. Um, which so you is really partying, good when you're a 21 year old kid. You were spending some money then. Cause if you only had 1700, you're making 800 a week, but you were, you were messing around or playing some or partying and just, you just yeah. you hadn't started building. <laughs> anything yet so i mean that's a that's a ridiculous story i, I would not say don't try that at home yeah. Uh, yeah pretty pretty epic so all right so sure enough what tell me about the the final 29 then were you in position did you have a lot of chips when you got to final table was it was it yours to win or did you kind of like ladder up give me like the sort of just overall how that that played out because i mean yeah it's your whole it's got to be pretty pretty electrifying to be at make the final table and see that 300 up top when you got your whole role on the line. So, I mean, it's, it's gotta be pretty, like you must've been in the matrix just dialed into the max, um, even though you hadn't slept. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I was really naive at the time. So I didn't even realize how big it was. I was just in there trying to play like, like I was at trippers or whatever, playing like a hundred dollar tournament. I was just, I was just playing. I, I was, I was very dialed in like, I wasn't thinking big picture. I didn't like get overwhelmed or anything at the time, um, which is probably good because maybe if I was thinking about the money, yeah, then I yeah. may have played too tight or or whatever the case may be. But um, but yeah, that was that was the story of my first ever cash. And I had I played like five, so I played a lot of smaller tournaments like at the charity rooms before that, and like won some tournaments. But the first place would be like a thousand bucks or something. Like those don't go on hand and mob. Um, but, but I played like five, like Heartland poker tours types, type tournaments before that, but just never cashed any. 
Okay. So, and then what about the guy heads up? Where was it close in chips? Did, did he play well? Was I see is like, he doesn't look like he, Joshua Williams was basically his whole pen and mob or, you know, 70% in the one score. Like how, how did the heads up go? Were you short? Did you talk deal? Did he just play? We, we actually uh, chopped three handed. Okay. So Cause it was, it was seven in the morning and we played for like 20 hours straight at this point or something, or something absurd. They wouldn't let us, they wouldn't let us stop playing. They were like taking down the equipment. Everyone's like waiting to go home. They had like flights to catch. It, it was it was pretty. It was kind of insane. Um, so we ended up chopping. I think we we made it like ten minute blinds or something after we chopped. And uh, I went on on the river with like seven high bluffing, and he called me with third pair or something. But we were playing for the ring, but we weren't playing for any any dollars. Interesting. All right. Well, very cool. So, all right. So that that's that's exciting. That's a big score. Situationally, your biggest, right? I mean, to go from basically zero to uh, to to have a quarter million dollar roll, um, you know, taxes this and that, whatever, and then kind of parlay into where you're at now. But uh, tell me your tournament experience at that point. Had you studied at all? Were you just talking with friends? Were you more a cash game player? Because you're you're watching, you're dealing cash games. So, how, like, what was your tournament ability at that moment? Not very good. Not not very good. Just. To be honest, probably just a field player. I, I didn't like back then. The sizings were always very, very small. If you look like, like the three bet sizings would be like less than double. Like if you opened a two thousand, I'll three bet at one thousand big blind. I'll three bet you to like thirty eight hundred. That's just what people did back then. Um, so yeah, I was just I, I was very good at I was very good at reading people. Like I remember some specific hands where. Like on day one, a guy bet like four thousand on the river, and I knew he was bluffing. And I only had seven thousand like five hundred chips, and I went all in with King High for like less than double his bet because he was like he was an older guy. He was trying really really hard, and I thought he was bluffing, or I didn't think he was that strong, and it ended up working. And I remember I tabled my hand, and he actually got up and like left and took like a ten minute break. And just walked away from the table. He was that upset. <laughs> um, and, and that just case money is so insane. I mean, that's such a that's such a crazy story, man. That's amazing. That is but, amazing. But like fundamentally, I probably had tons of leaks. I mean, even when I won the main event, I, I had tons of leaks. I, I wasn't very good. But but when it comes to like reading people, I thought I think that was my my strong suit at the time. So that helped me back then. Poker was way 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 easier easier than it is now also so um right. you could probably get away with stuff back then that if you tried now you would just get torched right well let's uh let's just kind of let's take a look now 2012 how i mean so that's pretty fun too right you go you must have felt pretty sweet to drive back that's a fun ride home are you still dealing at this point you're in college like it's your last month or two i mean it must have just been a parade right you go you got a quarter mil in your pocket you're, you're graduating college like the world at your oyster you know thinking probably in your head i'm gonna go on tour i'm gonna go play like was that your plan when you when you left college what was your plan how much did this change this score what you were doing for the next year um, I mean, it changed everything. So I, I didn't actually get the full quarter million because like I paid a ton in taxes. I, right. I paid off all my student loans instantly and I bought a car. So after that, I was left with maybe a hundred, something like that. Some, yeah, roughly. I, I think I had like a bad degening session playing roulette where I lost too, way too much money. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've been there. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so you gotta, you gotta roll though. You gotta roll. You gotta. Yeah, roll. I have like a hundred k, and then I literally just got in my car, like I told you, and just drove and played. And then right after that tournament at Borgata or wherever it was, somewhere in somewhere in uh, Atlantic City, 
I went back to I went back to Michigan for Christmas to visit my family, and then I just went out to LAPC right after that and played the entire LAPC. I, I got an apartment with a friend and just played for two months straight every tournament, basically. Yeah, I, I see that. I see here LAPC January. You know, you're there. You're cashing. Looks like you're, you know, you're getting, you're getting in there. And I mean, it's crazy. You're playing actually like a $200 buy-in tournament after you have a quarter million. So you were in there really putting grinding. <laughs> you were $75 tournament. I mean, yeah, I'm great. I wanted to get better because I felt like I wasn't that good, um, and it was my dream. So I'm just practicing it. It could have been like you said, $75 tournament, $500 tournament, $1,000 tournament. I, I just wanted to play and and get better. Right. All right. Well, let's get to the juice here. So, so you're, you're, you get, you're, you're fired up. You saw Greg Merson take down this tournament. You, you know, this is November of 2012. You had just hit your big score as well. Like you see the dreams alive. It's popular. It's on TV. Black Friday happens, which kills things a little, but still poker's booming. And here comes 2013. Talk to me about, let's run through your main event. So you're playing in Vegas. Looks like you cash a couple WSOP events. You get deep in the one K here 11th, right off the final table. So you're in good form. You play another one, you, you cash. And then talk to me about the main event. This is, uh, this is a big one. This is, uh, you know, 6,300 entries, uh, July 6th to 15th. And, you know, it's uh, 6,352 entries. What's your approach? This is your first main event then, right? It is, yes. So, um, so ahead. do you sell pieces? Do you buy and direct? Did you satellite? What's happening? I, I sold pieces. And I sold pieces to like all family members and friends, which is awesome. There were, there was no one who had a piece who I didn't know personally, which is cool. Um, and then I also swapped out a decent amount with friends. So I had a um, little over half of myself. Um, okay. And yeah, I just, cause, cause it, the months prior to that, I wasn't very successful. I think my biggest score was 20,000. And I played a decent amount of buy-ins. I was playing every day. Like I, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't even like partying that much. I was just playing poker. So uh, so yeah, my bankroll was a little bit lower. I didn't have a hundred thousand at the time. So I, I sold some and I swapped some out and just tried to play my best. And and I remember day one was really was really good. I had like two and a half starting stacks to finish day one. And then day two was good. I, like Every day is just like I doubled or tripled my stack basically. And back then, I, I remember if you do the math, if you like, I forget what it was, but it was like if you triple your stack every day, you win the tournament. Like after nine days or something, if every day, if you triple your stack, you have all the chips or something like that. And I remember doing the math. And then after like the first few days, I was like doubling and tripling my stack every day. And I was like, wow, I, I can do this. Like we're on pace, you know? And uh and yeah, I, I ran amazing. I, I won all the flips pretty much. I, I didn't have a ton of flips, but um, whenever I was flipping, like ace king against nine, something like that, I'd win. Um, when I had the best hand, I held. So it was just, you kind of have, everything just has to align perfectly to win the main event because you just have to beat so many people, so much luck involved. It really is crazy because you play $75 tournaments, you know, $100 tournaments, $1,000 tournaments, side events, this tournament, that tournament, this place, you take second here. The fact to actually run well and play well for that, it's like a 10 day stretch, right? I mean, every, a lot has to go right. What was, uh, what was your superpower? Do you think though, was it your focus? Was it your stamina that you were, you know, were you, uh, were you working out? Were you meditating? Were you not burnt out? Did you come to the main event with a pack lunch and there from the first hand, give me sort of your, your mantra, like what was your routine and how were you able to, 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 
to to go through this type of field and, and actually get it done. Like, give me some of your, give me some of the extra stuff. Like, what, 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 how do you do it? Give us some secrets. Um, I'm not a coffee guy. I don't drink any coffee. Um, I don't take, <laughs> I don't take, uh, take Adderall or anything. I was drinking a lot of Red Bull. I, I don't do it anymore. But at the time I remember just drinking like, had to have drank four Red Bulls a day, like every day during the main event, just to like stay focused. And then afterward, um, I like to drink. I like to smoke marijuana. So at the end of the days, I would, I would just like relax and just like, because during the main event, you like you're just so focused and you're you're just paying attention to everything. And then when you're done, you don't. It's hard to to like unwind and just like go to bed. You know, you you have to like. Cause you're still thinking about all the hands that you played. You're like, Oh, well maybe I could have done this differently. Like, God, I wish I didn't bluff in that spot. Like I wish I still had those chips or whatever. Um, and then you're like looking at your table draw for the next day. You're doing research on all the people who you're going to play with the next day, looking up their hand and mobs, um, talking to friends. Do you know anything about this guy? So it really, you don't really have a chance to turn your brain off and just like go to sleep. So I drank and smoked and it helped me. Um, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody else. Everyone, everyone's different, but, but you guys think that's just what I did. Yeah, let's review. So, you've been in with your case money all in for your team. <laughs> Smoking and drinking. And uh, all right, here we are. No, but okay. All jokes aside, yeah, man. I mean, so pretty incredible. So you make it to the final table. And was it, were they still doing November 9 at this point? They were, yeah. So, so you do hit the final table, you know, what was that like? And how was your stack when you came to the final table down the stretch? Were you sort of like coasting and in, 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 a, in a middle position? Were you a big stack? I can't remember this year how it played out exactly. I was right in the middle. I was five of nine and I had 50 big, 52 big blinds, something like that. Just 54 big blinds, something like that to start the final table. And, uh, and it just started great. I, I busted uh, Mark Newhouse right away, ace king against nines, which really calm eased the nerves because, like, if I would have lost that hand, I uh, I would have been I, I wouldn't have had confidence. I might have been like a little gun shy, like, oh, I don't want to get nines. Look at all, look at these crazy pay jumps. Um, so I was lucky to win the first couple of hands, and it kind of I was able to relax and play my game and not stress so much. The, that Mark Newhouse, that's that's pretty incredible in itself. He went back to back ninth place in like six thousand person fields in the main. I mean, that's like probably one in a trillion or something as well, just to get nine nine, you know, uh, chalk. But um, yeah, I mean, big big flips and big names there down the stretch. Even you see uh, Carlos Mortensen going out in tenth, uh, a legend. You got you know Mark Etienne McLaughlin. I know this guy. Uh, well, Jay Farber was there. Who's he wasn't really a poker guy, right? That's who you're not playing heads up. He's a nightlife host, and you know. But overall, how would you say the I guess JC Tran, world-class, David Benfield, world-class, Mark Newhouse obviously knows how to play. Uh, what was it like kind of at the end there? Where did you feel you stacked up ability-wise or, or your skill level versus the field like once it came down to, say, two tables? I mean, at the time, I thought I was the best player at the table. I even said I was the best player in the world. So, But, like, looking back at it, I, those guys all had me way outclassed. I, I probably had more confidence than them. Um like if you ask JC Tran after he busted who he thinks is going to win, he said he thought I was going to win, but but there's no way I was the best player at the time. Like from 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 a fundamental um, standpoint, at least. But but I might have had some extra things that helped me navigate or whatever, some white magic like helped me with or whatever it was. Um, but from like a uh, 
from like a technical standpoint, I, I definitely was not the best at the table. Right. And you, you did get some, you got some some heat for that afterwards saying you think you're the best player in the world. I mean, listen, you were the main event champion and confidence is so important in poker. I've also seen some statements you made, which I agree with, like saying, you know, if you're in a 10, 25 K field, pretty much everyone there thinks they're the best. Of course, there's a few business people that are having fun and know it's just a thing. But the poker people, poker background people in there are, are putting their money down because they think it's a good bet because they think they can, you know, whether they're GTO or reading ability or whatever it is, they are betting on themselves. So you know, how do you kind of draw that line? with confidence and cocky and you know looking back you said you you, you kind of amended a bit of what your statements even right now you're saying you know i don't looking back i maybe i wasn't the best but so where do you kind of toe that line between confidence and and uh and ability and, and really being realistic i think it's important to always i think you have to believe that you're the best or one of the best um at whatever you do if uh, Draymond Green had a good uh, good interview one time talking about greatness, and he said that if you don't think you're the best at, at what you do, then like you you'll never have a chance to be there. So like they asked Draymond Green if he's the best like defender in basketball, and he said he's the best defender of all, of all time, like in basketball. And and he said like if you have that mindset and you continue to work towards that, eventually you'll give yourself a chance to be the best. You don't just like become great mistakenly. Right. You, you right. don't, you don't like, oh, you wake up one day and like, oh, I'm great at this. No, like you thought you were great at it all along. You continue to work to be better at it. And eventually you reach that greatness. So I, I think it's important. Like right now, I think I'm one of the best players in the world. And I may not be, but I have that thought inside my head. And I think it's important to believe that. Um, it could be like, <laughs> There is a line between like confidence and cocky. Like I definitely came off cocky. I, I don't think I'm a cocky person, but maybe some people would say I am. But um, it, it's hard to it's hard to manage it. Like you don't want to come off like too cocky, but you also want to have confidence. Like if you want to play a 25k tournament and you say you're not one of the best people in the field, how, how are you going to sell action to the tournament? Do you right. think investors yeah. are going to be like, okay, I'll put you in, even though you're not you're, you can't compete? <laughs> like you have to have yeah. You have to have the confidence. Yeah, I, I think that's also true about uh, this is a this is a very interesting topic for me. Uh, sorry, my son's uh, he's fired up. Maybe you hear him crying in the background. Um, but uh, like like how you how you can judge your results. Right. Like, let's take this COVID period, the quarantine, you know, this, this last 10 months or year. Okay. You're, you're playing a lot. People are at a computer uh, online, playing a lot more, playing a lot more volume. If you have a, uh, sorry, it's chaos over here. Sorry. Um, if you have some better, like how do you, when you go through a downswing, let's say, how are you able to look at your results and be realistic with yourself? How are you able to say, man, I have not been playing great or, you know, I've been running poorly. Like, how are you able, like, you can look at an EV chart or kind of have people like scan through some big hands or, you know, organize your database and see like what's going on a little bit. But like, I think that's one of the fundamentally hardest things in poker is for people to not be results oriented and to be realistic. Cause you could be winning and not playing well, or you could be losing and playing great. So like, wh- what's enough of a sample? How do you sort of gauge yourself or take a reality check? If you're not, if you're in a, if you're in a rut, how are you able to kind of step back and say, okay, am I playing well? Or am I running? Am I just not, you know, am I running well or am I playing well? How do you do that for yourself? It's so hard, Jeff. Like, like for instance, since COVID, since COVID started, I've been playing online a decent amount and I'm down money. And there were times where I'm like, man, like 
I, I just want to take a break. Like, I feel like I'm not playing well. And then there's other times where it's like, man, I felt like I played great today and still lost money. There's, there's so much variance in poker that over a sample of like a hundred tournaments or something, you could like not cash a hundred tournaments in a row. I mean, if you know, don't cash a hundred tournaments in a row, you're probably doing some things wrong, but, but you could like, your graph could be like straight down and it could just be card distribution and like variance. It's, it's just really hard to like in poker to like result, like your playing style or like your skill level and your results don't always correlate like perfectly. Like it's not like chess where there's no luck involved and like the best player is almost always going to win. There's just, there's just a lot of variance for sure. And, and what, while we're on that subject, what do you think about uh, with party poker with no HUDs, uh, also limiting one reentry? Where, where do you kind of stand on this? There's now RTA discussions about players using real time assistance because it's always cat and mouse too, right? Like online, yeah, things are up, things are going on, but there's there's softwares, there's 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 problems, there's this these different things happening. So like, where do you stand on on that and 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 the game integrity and do you like no HUDs? Do you like real names? Like what, these type of topics, where do you stand on with the, with those, those three things in particular? I love real names. Um, I understand why some people would not want to have real names. Like some businessmen may not want it for whatever reason. If you're like a financial advisor or you're like running a hedge fund, um, you may not, it may look bad to like the people that, to like investors if you're like taking your money and gambling with it or whatever. So I understand it, but, but I think it levels the playing field. If everybody has real names, you know, who you're playing against. Um, so I'm a huge fan of that. Um, I do not like HUDs, but I do like the little built-in HUD on Gigi where they say like your j- just your VPIP percentage, like how many, the percentage of hands you're playing. I think that's helpful, but like the, the really, in-depth HUDs that have like the three bet percentage and fold to see bet percentage and how often you check the turn after betting the flop. All these things are a little, a little too much in my opinion. Um, I I think it makes it really hard for recreational players to compete, which is really bad, obviously long-term for poker. And what was the third one? Yeah. Basically the RTA, the argument on the stuff and how it's happening. I mean, obviously that's not good, but I'm saying, what do you feel on in terms of, being able to, to to prevent it excites uh, what they're doing for security. I know GG in particular, they had some people, there was like different classes of names where they were like people, some people got money confiscated. Some people got banned. Some people got warned um, with that. What, where do you kind of feel on that? Cause it's kind of, it's kind of tricky, right? Cause they're like assuming things or they could get it wrong. And you know, it's kind of hard to, to really like to, to get this exactly right. There's that Fedor Cruz scandal, um, that whole thing, but you know, where, yeah. where do you find that issue? Um, I think that sites should be really harsh on people that are doing that, to be honest. Um, it's hard because you can't, you can't prove it. So like, you don't want to, you can't like make assumptions, but if you know, like without a reasonable doubt that the person is cheating it, then that, that, that they are using real time assistance, then ban them. If if, like to, to set a precedent that like, we're not going to accept this. And if you do it, these are the consequences. Um, I don't really have a uh, tolerance for bullshit to be honest. So like, if you're going to like cheat, then showers, like I don't want, like there's no benefit for the site to keep them on. It just looks bad in my opinion. So I, I would, I would get rid of them. Yeah. And then yeah. limiting rebuys was the other one. Um, yeah. This is tough. This is really tough. Cause like part of me wants every tournament to be unlimited reentry, 
because if like if somebody wants to go all in blind every hand and just keep firing and be in for like 20 bullets, let's just use a really extreme example, then why why limit them um, from doing that if they want to do that, if that's fun for them? Um, but at the same time, when you make tournaments unlimited reentry, I remember Party Poker had a tournament in Barcelona, like a Party Poker Millions event a few years ago, and it was unlimited. Or they just had like a whole bunch of flights and you could rebuy one. So you could be in for like eight bullets. And then the final table was like all the best players. Like it was like Chidwick, um, Malakasai. I don't remember who, but it was just like all sickos. Like no. And, and a few of them were in multiple bullets. And it makes it really hard when you structure a tournament like that for a recreational player or like a um, less experienced player to really have a shot. Because you bust them and then they're just going to come right back. Yeah, I like the Fox example. I mean, that was at the, the Bellagio, right? He was in six bullets. Now, at the same token, Dylan Lynn, who I think won the year before, something was in for five or eight and didn't cash. So it's kind of a tricky argument, too, because then, you know, if you think about it, if you're a recreational or someone there, you're more likely to cash. There's more entries. People are punting money. But, like, to actually get the big money up top, it's going to be a lot harder to, to make it to the end. And, be, and it sucks when you bust a Ryan Reese or a Chidwick or a Fox, and then he rebuys and, he, you know, he torches you on, you know, two days later, he's on your left with the chip lead. And, you know, you see him, you busted him on day one or whatever. But, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky. he busts you the next day or something. Right. Yeah, it, right. it doesn't feel good. It's tricky. But, it's a, again, I think that's why, like, one reentry is good. It's also for live events when you travel places, you know, some it's way different, right? Like, you, you decide to go across the world and you bust the main event yeah, it might be nice to re-enter another one or have a really good second side event. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a tricky one. And I think it's sort of, uh, yeah, sort of, sort of side with you. I think there's a good compromise. It's also nice to have some events like the main event, keep that a freeze out, give someone that integrity and have a, have a mixture. So people have like some tournaments can be freeze out. Some can be like for the Colossus, for instance, sure. Make that unlimited rebuys. You want to have like a million people. You want to have, 20,000 runners, a million for first. So for that tournament, make it unlimited rebuys. That's fine. For like a 100K, for example, maybe you can make that unlimited rebuys, but then have like 5K freeze outs. Main event always needs to be a freeze out. I hope they never change that. Right. Um, and, and then and when you have a mixture of everything, then you can pick and choose what you want to play. If you don't want to play unlimited rebuys, then don't play that tournament. Play the freeze out the next day or whatever. So you can kind of make everybody happy. To some degree, yeah. I uh, I agree completely. What do you, what do you think though about the the online events like WPT that you know awarding awarding people on the trophy? What do you think about this main event? Obviously, there's two main events and it was controversy, but this guy now who won yesterday, uh, or I guess they're going to play right? Are they there? Will the there's one European champion, Damon Salas. This guy won as well. They're going to actually play heads up, but he won the online. Do you think there should be an asterisk? Does he is this guy? He's a 2020 WSOP main event champion. How how do you feel about the online? titles being awarded for the different series i think oh that's my door babe the door rang um i think that i think that he should be able to be i think that whoever wins between damian salas and i'm drawing a blank on his name yeah i I don't even want to get it wrong but um but yeah whoever wins they should be the main event champion i think that there should be a main event champion this year um when you when you go when you, when you go to the Rio and you look up at the banners, yeah, 2020 was like, it's not perfect. J- Joseph Hubbard. Yeah, I may be pronouncing it wrong again, but yeah. yeah. That was easy to find because you uh, you did cash this. So you were deep in this. I didn't even see that. You almost you were you were almost yeah. uh, your way out there, huh? Almost. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think that there should be 
a uh, a winner. Yeah, you could put an asterisk if you want, but you could put an asterisk next to this entire year, 2020, if you, if you want to. You know, like it's not perfect. Some people are gonna. Some people may not say that that's not my that's not my champion or whatever. But but it's just a crazy year. So they they did the best they could, and it's whatever. I don't, I don't know. I have I have no problems about about the WSOP how they handled it. I mean, they they shouldn't have done. They shouldn't have done two main events because it's not fair for the first guy. Like when I, I played the first one and I was under the impression that that was the main event, that that was the WSOP main event. And and when I busted, I was like, oh, God, like I'll wait till next year. So everyone who played that thought it was the WSOP main event. So it's not fair to that guy to to essentially strip his title from it. It's, it's actually interesting. I guess they had their mind made up and it, maybe it doesn't matter, but you just wonder if like Helmuth won or Negranu or you or a repeat champion or if somehow like it was a big enough thing. I mean, I guess the money's the money, right? And they, they made up their mind, but I'm just wondering if somehow like a major name had won, if they would have like, like let's say Negranu won it. Like would they have, would they have said it's not real or would they have just been like, okay, this is it. I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say if Negranu won the main event, they would not have had another one. But 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 I could be wrong because right. by having another one, they make a lot more money. Right. So right. yeah, they might have said, "Well, there's two winners this year," or like you know, who knows what they would have done. But anyway, um, all right, let's go. A, let's a split banner, maybe, or something. I don't know. Yeah, they could still do that. Actually, to be yeah, honest, there's still, they're still yeah, they got options. Um, all right, let's take a look at another big win, another Ace King of Hearts, by the way, which is pretty crazy to win your two 10ks in the WPT and the WSOP. So you take down, you get, you win. How's that even possible as well? Like, what well, I mean, what's going on? You win with Ace King of Hearts. That's how <laughs> that's you win. And you just ship it and and get the all in and happen to win. So uh, tell me about this one. This is a little different field size. Got way over the guarantee, 350 entries and a huge purse up top in the uh, WPT Hard Rock. What, what, what happened here? And this, uh, how good did it feel to win, you know, two thirds of the Triple Crown and, and and get a WPT on your resume? Oh, it felt so good, Jeff. Like I, I've been playing WPT since 2013, and that's still the only one on final table. <laughs> so after I final table that, I was like, oh my gosh, I kind of got the monkey off my back. Now I just need to win it, and I and I ran great that whole tournament. That everything was just and then when you win with ace king of hearts like when you get it and the guy goes all in you just like know you're gonna win again it's like just just too weird like what are the odds but uh but yeah that tournament was awesome they they didn't run it the next year which was kind of unfortunate because it was great the field was the turnout was great um yeah it was it was it was just an overall great tournament yeah, and most yeah. of them well. They got well over the guarantee, and it looked like a big success. But I'm not sure exactly. I mean, it's it's crazy too because the Hard Rock they build a 1.5 billion dollar guitar. I was there on the opening, did a, a YouTube video on it, and you know, just super impressive place. Excited to like start doing major events, right? I mean, they got the space, yeah. they got the, the best thing, and then all of a sudden COVID hits, and now it's like kind of the whole. We're kind of waiting as a the poker community on what's going to happen. Who's going to do the first big guarantees? Are people going to show up? You know, you can see it looks like people are showing up to live events, right? Like people are still playing. The people are playing live cash. I think that people are ready to fire. Like it feels like that once they open up the uh, the doors, people are going to show up for these big guaranteed tournaments. But um, what, what's your kind of thought on the live poker? Like if they if they announced at a place near you or you know with COVID and, and whatnot, are you comfortable if there's some if one of these major sites have the plexiglass, the precautions? Like what would it take for you to show up to play uh, an event? Um, well, my, my wife and I already had COVID. We, we had COVID in June, okay. so uh, yeah, I, I would show up. Um, 
we we both had really mild cases. We just couldn't smell or taste anything for a few weeks. But um, but yeah, I, I would show up. Um, I don't know. It, it's just it's really hard. It, it, it's it's really like. Yeah, like depending on what the guarantee is, depends on like everything else what's happening. Because I heard there's some new strand now that's more crazy. Like, can you get it again, or how long? Are you, there's there's a lot of questions still. You know, it's like you don't necessarily want to just be out in the in, in, in like guessing, right? Like at the same yeah. time, for no reason. But you know, yeah, I, I, there are a lot of ifs. No, nobody knows. Like, I probably I wouldn't travel right now for a poker tournament. No, no chance. But. Um, like if I'm in Vegas and a, a poker turn and they decide to have like WPT Bellagio next month or something and they have all the good precautions up and it's a whatever, two million guarantee or something, I'm I'm gonna show up and play it. Um yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise like somebody who's in the high risk category to play, but uh but me already having COVID, I'm I uh I, I personally would play it, but that's just me. Everyone's different. For sure. And, and, and what do you think about like current, current state of poker, you know, high rollers, like $3,500 fields are different than the 25 K hundred Ks. Obviously you said at one point you felt you were the best player in the world, which you kind of retracted or just like, all right, you know, I was confident feeling good. Now you feel you're one of the best players in the world. How do you feel you shake up with the current state of poker with, um, I guess more of the question is, what are you doing? You know, do you use Peel Solver? Is it your core group of friends? Do you watch, study film? What is your way to put yourself in the category of one of the best in the world currently? What are you, what are you proactively doing uh, to, to maintain and, and also improve in the, in the current state of poker? Um, a, l- a little bit of everything. Not, not that much in, into the solvers, uh, to, to be honest. Like, every now and then I'll run something, but sometimes I don't uh, – to be honest, I kind of like disagree with some of the stuff against certain people. I think you can play very exploitative against most people, maybe not in like the super high roller fields, um, but in like main events, for instance, I don't think, I, I think a solver, let's just use uh, Alex Foxen, for example, versus like a, a, a GTO bot solver in like a WPT Borgata or something. I think, Foxen may even have like a higher ROI because he plays exploitative where like he's going to, he's going to make money, make more money in spots that the solver is not because it's going to maybe play more um, play. So it can't be exploited or whatever. So, um, but like in a hundred K the solver is just going to always win and it's just going to do really, really well. But, but in main events, I, I think it's a little bit different. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of the super. I, I played the hundred. I played a lot of hundred Ks in the past. I played a 250 K recently, and I stone bubbled, and that hurt a lot. So uh, I, uh, I think I'm going to take a little break from those because the bubbles are not fun in the very big tournaments. They hurt, and it's. I'm not, I've bubbled a lot of very big tournaments in my career, and I, I'm not a fan of it. Are you allowed? Are you allowed- when you win a WPT major, when you win 
the World Series of Maine major? Where where do people make fun or joke with you? Like, are you ever allowed to complain about a bad beat or a running bad? Like, do you ever find yourself sometimes like because I think we, I think every poker player fundamentally at some point feels they're like, unlucky or running bad. Like you talk like you know I, I, you know try not to say bad beats, but like you say you bubble on a bad beat or a tough you know run out. Like because in those those high super high rollers the bubbles are very intense. You know people are putting pressure on. You got you you get in there and you bubble. Like do you ever look and like man that was so effed. Like how did that happen or are you to a point where you don't really talk about uh, being unlucky or variance and stuff, or do you find yourself sometimes still being like, man, that was messed up. I, I just get really upset. Um, but, but I don't, I, I don't think like, Oh, poor me. How is this happening to me or anything now? I, I I've been so fortunate and lucky in my life. I, uh, after you win the main event, you can't really complain about being unlucky in poker. It's just not fair. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that was the answer. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, right, you just want to believe, you know, that you're always going to have good – things are going to go well. Of course, it's not fun to bubble or, or not run well. Um, what is uh, – what, what do you – what are your favorite stops on tour? Let's just take COVID out of it. Like this next year, it gets back to normal. Everything was back to how it was. What's, what stops will you not miss in your favorite places to go and play? Barcelona. But okay. I love I love Barcelona. That's just a great city. Um, if I were to bring my kids somewhere, I would probably pick Cyprus. They have uh, the Merit tour in Cyprus and it's very kid friendly, uh, smaller buy ins, which I like. It's less stressful, especially if I'm going to be there with my kids. I don't want to be playing 100Ks with my with my children there, really. Um, yeah, it's a cool spot. So, yeah, Cyprus is great. Uh, Australia is great. Um, in the United States. I love Florida, where we were just talking about that. They do such a great – Tony Burns does an incredible job there. And the uh, the hotel, the food, everything's everything's amazing. Yeah. Um, Amsterdam is great. They don't have a lot of big tournaments. They had, they had a WPT a few years ago, and they have a Masters Classic, I think. But I love Amsterdam. That's, that's a great city. Yeah, it's up there for me as well. But, yeah, not, not really like a poker – poker hub although they do throw together some uh some decent events here and there but it's not really a a series um what do you uh what do you believe makes what are the best attributes to have as, as a player you look at your you know you don't have to name them of course it's uh it's one of those things like you, you don't necessarily want to show your hand on what you believe and you play with some of these guys all the time but let's just take the best five ten guys currently in the world or including yourself like if you put yourself in that category, which I think you could, anyone could argue, what do you believe are some of the best things like the intangibles, you know, cause it's like, there's like stuff like bankroll management, discipline, game selection, all these things. Like, what do you think makes the complete player that maybe some people don't immediately think about reading, of course, uh, bet sizings. Like what are some things that you think the best players just do? And if you don't do it, you just can't really be considered that. I think it would be what you do off the table. Like as far as just like preparation goes, like making sure you sleep well and, and eat well and uh, just take, taking care of your body, whether it's working out or, or whatever. I think that ends up being that's very overlooked. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people do that as much as they should. But when you're when you're grinding, when you're playing like these main events are some of them are five, six, seven days long. It's, it's going to be taxing on your body. And if you're not sleeping and, and eating well and taking care of your body, come like the third, fourth, fifth day, you might start to be drained and you may get tired. You may make mistakes. Um, so I think all the, the stuff off the table is just as important as like when you're at the table being patient and not tilting and uh, 
not being on your phone, paying attention to other people, even when you're not in the hand, there's all these things that, that separate the recreational players or people who don't care as much with the, with, a, with the best players. And, and are you start from the very first or are you coming from defense? So for the WSOP main event, I've never showed up after the first hand, maybe one time because the line was too long to reg, but but for those tournaments, I always want to show up on time. If I'm playing like the Giant or the Colossus or something, I'm going to be a little bit lazier and probably show up late. I might even like drink a few beers while I'm playing. And we're in like the WSMP main event. I'm never drinking beers till like the end of like last level or whatever. Um, but it all it all depends on the on the buy-in to me. And it shouldn't. I should just be a professional and treat every tournament the same. But I'm a human and, and I don't. And and speaking on that a bit about kids, because, you know, we both have uh, around the same age on one. You have three, though. How has uh, what adjustments? And and again, COVID obviously throws a wrench and everything. So the last year has kind of been different. Maybe. And again, for some, you know, obviously, no, never want to say COVID is a good thing. But for someone like yourself or me, where you can maybe be kind of one place, you're not traveling as much, you get to play online and there's good events. It can be almost uh, in that that regard, at least be be advantageous but what uh you know let's just take before covid how are you able to balance that with kids like give me sort of like a trick or something that you learned or just you know is it is it that you fit your schedule so you make sure you spend time with them daily how are you able to balance playing poker and and that because there's obviously schedule right it's like you get to make your own schedule but still it's uh you know it's like tough to bring them do you bring your your wife your children play a tournament all day long, you're basically locked in. So is it like you wake up early, spend time with them? You know, how, how do you, how are you able to do that? Give me a little bit of like a, something you would recommend and maybe new dads out there that like want to play poker. So my wife is Ukrainian. So we pre COVID, we spent a lot of time in Ukraine and I was playing a lot of the European tours. So I would go to Monaco, to Barcelona, Cyprus, um, Amsterdam, all, all, Prague, all those places. So it was great because we had like a home base in Europe where we could go to play all these tournaments. I could bring my family or if I go to, let's say, Rosfidoff, for instance, where WS, Leon's Casino, King's Casino and WSOP Europe. Um, there, there are many things for kids to do there. For, so for that stop, the kids stay home with their grandparents in Ukraine and I just go myself to Prague. It's like a one or two hour flight. Um, and then if we go to Cyprus or Barcelona or something, I'll bring the family. So it all depends on the stop, whether I bring my kids or not. And, uh, and and it's kind of hard to balance it. Like some tournaments I may show up late because I want to take my kids to the park or to the zoo or something before I play. And then for the main event, it's like, okay, I got to go. Hopefully I'll be back in a couple of days basically because you don't see, you you don't see them at all. By the time I get back from playing all day, the kids are sleeping, but, but then you can still like meet up with them on dinner break and stuff. It's so, it's very hard to balance it, but it's important to have to have a balance. I think. I, I think if you're all, like with your family too much, then you, obviously you can't play poker. And if you're with your poker, if you're doing poker nonstop, then you don't see it with your family. So you're not gonna. Part of your heart is gonna be missing almost, and you're not gonna be able to to focus completely because part of you wants to see your kids. So it's right, important right. to have a balance for sure. For sure. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, uh, yeah, it's easier said than done, but <clears throat> excuse me, you, uh, you kind of learn, learn as you go. What is, uh, 
what are your 2021 plans, like goals do you have for, for poker? It's kind of hard, I guess, with not knowing if there's a live schedule or not. Uh, do, do you plan to ramp it up? Are you studying a lot? Are you working hard? Are you trying to play a lot? Or are you kind of just uh, in limbo and going to gonna go with depending on how the series uh, come out and, and what's going on? Have you really looked at it and made a plan yet, or are you just up in the air? I, I'm, I'm up in the air at this point just because I don't know. I, I don't know how long this is going to last. Like We could have a, another outbreak or something. And live poker doesn't come till the end of 2021 or something. We, we, no one really knows. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just going to spend as much time with the family, with the kids as possible. They're, they're at the age where they're like, they're just growing so fast. They're sponges. I don't want to, I don't want to blink and miss anything to be honest. But, but if there's a big tournament that comes by me, then I'll play it, but I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be going to Europe and leaving my, and leaving my kids or anything anytime soon. Right. right. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So I, do to, I do want to take, take questions. We got a lot. Uh, and one more though, my dad actually, he was, you know, I was born and raised in Amber, Michigan. He was, I know you're a big Michigan state fan. Uh, are you, who was your favorite MSU coach ever that they've had, I guess, in any of the sports. Uh, and also, and is the men, is the men's basketball team in trouble? Are you following it? I think they started out with a couple losses. Uh, do you think they're gonna have a rough year? Like how, are you still really into it? Like do you follow, do you watch the games? Are you like, I know you're a pretty diehard uh, Michigan state fan. Yeah, yeah, I watch everything. Um, I mean, Izzo's been the coach for my whole life. I think he's been the coach for twenty some years. So he's the he's the basketball guy. And then D'Antonio was such a great football coach. He he was also like the head of the athletic department or something. So he had he had a lot of responsibilities. And then there were some controversies that happened. He ended up leaving, but he he was a great coach. Um, I don't know him personally, but what I know of him. I have friends who played for him and they looked at him as like a father figure. So that, that means so much to, to these kids. So um, yeah, both the coaches are awesome. The, the basketball team started great. Actually. I think we won our first seven games or something. We beat Duke and then we dropped the last three games and didn't play very good. It looks like is still experimenting with the starting lineup. So yeah, maybe that's what it is. They were 0 2 in the Big Ten, not not 0 2 overall or something. They're 0 3 because they lost last night, too. They got killed. Oh, sh- yeah. Well, uh, hey, listen, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> all that. It's it's good. You know, it is fun. Sports are sports are getting legalized at a federal level. Now, I'm optimistic that poker's coming back. I mean, Michigan, um, Michigan now is legal. So I guess I don't know exactly, but I believe that party poker and stars are going to be in there in the next year. I don't know specific dates. Like, are you are you optimistic that poker will kind of catch a, a win back? in the whole U S that would that interest you at all? Or it's still too small, right? If Michigan, maybe if it like pooled together, like would you ever consider going back to Michigan and playing online? If, uh, if, if that sort of happened where it could be interstate or combined in the real pool, would that, would that be something you'd think about? Um, I probably wouldn't move back to Michigan to be honest, but, but if I, I would go back to Michigan and play the tournaments, if it were, if it was on like a different player pool than Nevada and I couldn't play in Las Vegas or something, but but uh, but yeah, Michigan's doing great. I think DraftKings, um, they're opening a sports book there like within the next week or two. And uh, yeah, it seems like the legislation regarding like poker and sports in Michigan is is really starting to come along. And and uh, they're one of the one of the few states that really want everything to be legal, which is great. I, I think it's great for everyone. Hopefully one day everybody in the U.S. can play on the same against each other, no matter what state you're in. That, that's the goal. 
for sure. Um, do you, and, and during, you said your COVID was really mild. Were you worried at all? Like when you first tested positive, like how did you know you had it? Were you just like, you just felt sick, you had a little cough and you got the test or, or like, what was, you know, how did that go down? I couldn't taste or smell anything. Like I, like, well, I have like minced garlic in the fridge and I'd like try to smell it, which is normally a really strong pungent smell and smell nothing or like vinegar, like zero sense. So, you know, like, I, I, I kind of knew after that, that was my only symptom though, to be honest, there was no, maybe like a tiny cough, but there was no fever. Uh, I, I didn't have a hard time breathing. So, uh, yeah, that was the only symptom, but I kind of had a feeling that, that that's what it is. Cause I, I've done a lot of research on COVID and that was the one symptom that seemed to be pretty, that most people seem to have, they just couldn't smell or taste anything. So I thought I had it. Um, my wife had the same symptom and we went and got tested and we had it. And then we quarantined for a few weeks and then we're good. We feel good now. So we're lucky that we are young and healthy. So we didn't have uh, I, we don't take COVID lightly by any means, but uh, like if you're in the high risk category, if you're in your sixties or something, you need to be a lot more careful. But if you're like, if you're a child, for instance, if you're like five years old, I don't think you have, you have much to worry about. Right. Makes a lot of sense. All right. One more question for you before we dive into, uh, we'll, we'll take a handful of these again. There's a, there's a lot, man. I think you broke. I feel like every time they break the record, there's literally a hundred, hundred plus questions on here. And I saw a lot of good ones. So I wanted to save uh, some stuff I wanted to ask. That I already saw um, in there uh, again. Sorry for the background noise, man. I got like 13 cousins and nephews and nieces running around and, and uh, kind of trying to, trying to call calm them down but they they're fired up man they're it's you know holidays and they're they got the brazilians you got the the, the gringos and everyone's kind of just feeling each other out uh right now so it's uh, it's it's chaos but um i gotta ask you, you win the main event what was it like in terms of endorsements or other opportunities because this you know pre-black friday they were giving out people for random side event final tables 100k here wear a patch do that you know main deals our, our man joe Cotta, who i know you guys have a very healthy relationship with in a battle you guys actually just kind of going back and forth one and two he also won the main event. I'm telling you, I, I think I'll get it one day. We'll see. But you guys do have the uh, the top two spots, and you're currently number one. Is that a competitive thing between you two? I mean, you, you literally are neck and neck. And, and Joe and Kata's had a pretty amazing career with other results. But November 19 again, winning another bracelet or two along the way. So he's got a really impressive career. How uh, how do you compare yourself with Joe? And do you guys have a friendly battle? He's also a Michigan guy, right? You're Michigan State. So you know, is there a little rivalry there or what? Oh uh, yeah, it's a it's a very friendly rivalry though. Um, me and Joe are good friends. I play way more than him, and I, if he played the same amount as me, I feel like he would have twenty five million or something in earnings. To be honest, but but uh, he doesn't really travel much for poker. He just shows up to the WSOP and like wins a bracelet and then goes home. He, he seems to do that a lot. <laughs> um, but but yeah, Joe's great, and it's cool because we. But like you said, we're like. It seemed like the from eight million up to fourteen million or fifteen million or whatever, we've kind of like been at the same stage, just like pushing each other up. So it's like a friendly competition thing. It makes it we like I'm a Spartan, he's a Wolverine, so we don't want to lose the battle for that reason right there. So it's a it's a very friendly, healthy competition, and hopefully we can both continue to be really successful. 
Absolutely. And, and again, just to, to sort of, I do that sometimes. This is Twitch streamer, me, man. I fire multiple questions at once. Uh, the winning the main event, though, at the time, 2013, it's post Black Friday. There was a November 9th. Maybe yours was the last year or one of the last years. I can't remember how long they did it now. But, um, you know, what was uh, what was that like? Were there were there offers? Because you didn't you did not end up signing with the site, I don't believe, or did the like, 888 or someone did you were you patched up for that at all or, or no? No, I was not. Benefield and I um, d- did not have any patches. Everybody else did. Um, the, so when I in 2013, the sponsorship money wasn't like it was pre Black Friday. Pre Black right. Friday, people were getting paid million dollars to wear a patch for a final table. It was insane. Um, afterwards, at least for like a a white American male, there ma- mainly being American. Um, there, there's weren't that many opportunities cause you couldn't play online poker. So there's not much value to the, uh, to the site to have an American, um, sponsor them or whatever, but there were, there were offers. Um, I chose not to, to be honest, a few of the people who asked me, they didn't really rub me the right way. And I, uh, I try to block all like negativity out of my life and I wanted to win this more than like life itself at the time. So, I, I didn't want to uh I didn't want to like be forced to do something I didn't want to do for a relatively small sum of money if it would have uh took away my focus from the task at hand. So so I chose not to uh not to sign any any offers for that reason. Yeah. And yeah. is that something you know looking at now? Does that interest you at all? Like do you what do you think about YouTube, Twitch streaming, you know, all this that seems to kind of move in that direction? Um have you considered streaming on Twitch? Would you ever want to do something like that or just not, not really, you know, knowing it's a grind and, and, and the whole thing and just kind of, do, do you feel that's something that you would like to do or just no interest? Did you ever, did you ever consider it? And do you watch any streams ever? I, I do watch streams sometimes, uh, mainly only when I'm at the table with somebody streaming right. um, because I think it's interesting and you get a little insight on how they play. Uh, I played with, somebody not too long ago who I've never played with before and they were streaming. So I pulled it up and was like, Oh wow, they bluffed in this spot. I would have guessed that they wouldn't be bluffing here or whatever. So, right. um, so yeah, I think Twitch is amazing. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the platform. I, I don't have that much interest doing it like full time, at least maybe like every now and then would be fun, but I wouldn't want to be doing it day in and day out. Um, but I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's a great platform. I, th- I think it's great for the game of poker. I think it's great for the individual who's who's streaming. I, I think it's great all around. I have nothing but good things to say about that uh, that whole relatively recent development in poker. For sure, yeah. I think it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely good for the game. It gets people involved and into it, and, and puts out a lot of content. I think it's uh yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing, and and it is kind of one of those things you want to dive in or not. You know, it's like not really something you just do once in a while to go through the process of getting all the equipment and learning it. And then, you know, maybe it's cool to do if you just want to do a once in a blue moon, it is nice to see some more people get into it um, and, and promoting, but uh, for sure, just, just curious. I, I, I wish I remembered the hand, but I was playing with you and you turned a pair into a bluff and you shoved the river against me and I folded and I pulled up your Twitch stream and I saw that it was a bluff and I was shocked because because there were like no natural bluffs and i'm like well he has like bottom pair that he turned into a bluff or else he just has to have it but like something told me that you didn't have it but i folded and and you're bluffing me it was was a good bluff so that's another reason why twitch is great because then afterward 
it like gets in my head. I'm like tilted. I like text friends like, God, Jeff just turned bottom pair into a bluff against me and shoved the river. And it was in like a big tournament. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm, I'll I'll find the hand and send it to you later. I, I forget exactly what it was. Interesting. Well, that's good. It's good. I, I mean, there's not many, but it's good to get one or two through. I'm trying to bluff more. I mean, that, that's that's the problem though. Then the secret. Then maybe it doesn't work in the future. And like I, I know it's very tight and snug, and you know, try to use a you know, like maybe I can't use it get 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 any more through. But um, which is why it worked though, because you're you're known as being relatively tight for sure. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I like default fold, but and it worked. I'm gonna yeah, find the hand. Yeah. I'll send it to you later, Jeff. I know we've definitely we definitely played some over over quarantine for sure. So let's uh, let's dive into the questions. Oh, I, I, there's a lot, so we'll we'll just kind of go through. And again, I've scanned them, so I, some of these I wanted to ask already. Um, and some of these we've already covered. Here's one right off the top about live poker. We kind of covered that. Uh, what do you remember being the toughest part about winning the WSOP main? Was it you know? Give me give me what was the actual to win it to go through the ten days? Was it the was it day one? Was it the midway point? Was it the final stretch? Was it what, what was the hardest part of the whole process? Like, were you super low at any point? You said you were double, tripling your stack pretty much consistently, but was there any adversity or, or something that you know you got sick or didn't feel good or wasn't sleeping well? What was the toughest? It's a good question. I, I don't remember. I, I, I was very naive at the time, um, and I just remember everything being very smooth. I, I guess maybe the the timing in between the final table and the November nine was kind of tough. Because it's just, a, it was a big gap. It was four months, almost, maybe three and a half, four months. So you kind of, you, you may get in your head a little bit. You, uh, the nerves start to build up because you have all this time to think about it, where if it's the next day, you might just be ready to go. Like uh, the day before the final table, I was moved to tears. I like started to cry a little bit because I was, I, I was nervous because it's like everything I've ever wanted was to win the main event and be successful in poker. And knowing that it's like the next day, you start to become like afraid that maybe it's not, maybe something's going to go wrong. Maybe it's like something's going to happen. Um, so I, I would say that, yeah, that, that time was kind of tough because you start to, you may start to second guess yourself. I think I kept a pretty level head, but I could see how some people it would be, it would be very tough. And what, was that something you had handled friends, family, all in a, like for a long time? Cause I mean, that, that back then it was a spectacle with, with the, having that time, you know, everyone had a section, you got people asking to come like, w- at what point did you sort of shut off all that noise? And it was just your time. You weren't texting or talking to people. And did you have like uh, probably a couple of friends or people organizing everything? Cause it's gotta be a little bit of it. It's like going to the Super Bowl, the players, right? Everyone, the family, distant cousins, everyone wants a ticket. Everyone wants to be there. Everyone wants yeah. to show them support, but it's also a bit overwhelming. So how did you sort of, uh, were you able to block that out? So you could just focus on that. Um, well, yeah, back then it was at Penn and Teller theater. So like you said, it was a huge production. I'm, I don't know how many people exactly I had there, maybe 50, a hundred people. I had a lot of people come out. Um, my girlfriend at the time, she organized a lot of the, she gave tickets to everybody. Um, maybe like in the months leading up to it, maybe I talked to them and told them when it was, but like when we actually arrived at the Rio, I was just focusing and and doing my preparation and she dealt with all of family and friends, which made it easy on me. Like I couldn't have been imagined like waiting in the the lobby at the Rio for like someone to come and hand them their tickets so they can get in like that. That would just be a nightmare. So, um, so yeah, I had people that helped me with the uh, organizing family and friends. So that, that was nice. 
And, and what was it like? So you, when you do make the November nine, what's the feeling there? It must be so much relief, but so what they basically, you know, cause I had a, I had a piece of uh, Tom Canoli uh, when he made the final table. And I remember that, you know, like where it was same thing, November nine, I think it was 2015. So yeah, they're still doing it then, but like getting that money, right? Like they pay the money out. So like, here you go, you lock up a nice fat score. You said you had some pieces sold and swaps or whatever. How, how, how relieving was that to get that, that big chunk? And then, you know, know though, cause it's a huge difference. It looked like what 730 K to 8 million. I mean, this is like, this is a real sweat to think about for a while. How, how relieving was it though, to get that 700 and did you instantly start preparing or were you, did you take a couple of weeks to decompress? Uh, and then give me, I guess, a bit of your process of like studying and were you simulating the stuff? Were you having friends and dealing the stack sizes and like, what, what was your preparation? So I was very, very, I was very lazy. Um, I, I played a lot. Like I went to Paris for WSOP Europe. I played, I think uh, maybe Borgata had a WPT at the time. I played a lot of tournaments like in the U.S. and abroad, but I did very little studying um, as far as like my own personal strategy. I, I did like some. I, I studied my opponents a little bit, but I didn't work on my game much because I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to like level myself into playing different things. Say I hired. Uh, um, Jake Schindler to, to coach me, for instance. Um, he's one of the best players in the world and he's thinking on like this level where at the time I wasn't near that level. So if I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to show up and I'm going to try to play like Schindler. I probably would have been like second guessing myself in my head and like trying to like replicate somebody else's strategy rather than do what I, I've been playing poker since I was 14. So I wanted to just play my game i didn't want to i didn't want to complicate the game for myself like yeah my game wasn't perfect by any means but i didn't want to i didn't want to make it more complicated than it is because texas Hold'em's a relatively simple game it's a two-card game you only have a couple of decisions on every street back then it was infinitely easier than it is now um so i didn't do much preparation as far as my own game was concerned looking back at it. I would have, I would have actually done it differently. I I would have, uh, I would have studied more. I I would have tried to improve more probably, but, but I don't know. I might've lost if I did that. So you never know. It's kind of hard to ask that now because obviously it worked out as it, as it needed to for you. But what, uh, do you think though, in in overall from, from a big picture, is it better if if the WSOP, just plays through kind of how they're going back to, or do you think the November nine or maybe a, a compromise of like a month or two weeks or one week, even give people a chance to get their, their loved ones out, relax, get freshened up. What, what do you think is the best, best thing they can do for that? What's the so time? four months is way, way, way too long, but the next day or two days is way too short. Cause say you ha- say you're from uh, France or something like loosely, who was at my final table or, or whoever it may be. It's hard to like, you have to contact all your family, your friends, they need to fly across the world, they need to take work off, they may have kids, they need to work, like, if you do it in a couple of days, you just don't have time for the whole, like the experience back then, when it was at Penn and Teller Theater was incredible. Like you had a 1000 people watching, there were bleachers, stands set up, it, it was so, so, so cool. Now, they do it in they kept it in the Amazon room, I think, or the Brasilia room or something. And you still have like the production, but there's way less people there. It's right. it's hard to compare it. 
the only people who know are the people who were actually at both settings. And then you can kind of compare the two and be like, wow, yeah, this is, this is a lot different, but, but I think, yeah, some good compromise of a week, like, like too long. If it's too long, then the player is able to get a lot of coaching and like completely change their playing style, which isn't very pure in the fact that like it's one tournament, like you should play it out, but you should also give people a chance to bring family and friends in, um, acquire sponsorship deals. Like that's, that's huge. Uh, just do interviews so you can like build the hype around it. So I would say like one week is probably good, maybe yeah. 10 days, but, but no more than that. Yeah, that, that feels perfect. I think I agree. I think it's nice to also get freshened up, hit the spa, decompress, yeah, <laughs> Do do you know do exactly talk to a few people get to relive and catch up a few things and and, and whatever so yeah I, I think that would be the the way to go and hopefully kind of moves that way um, all right let's 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 continue through some of these uh, let's see uh, New Year's Eve plans do you have any New Year's Eve plans are you is it you know COVID time just kind of relaxing with family or do you have anything are you, are you going wild or what you've already had COVID what's your uh, New Year's <laughs> appetite. No, nothing too wild. Uh, I think my wife planned something with with a few friends, just like a very small get together of four of us or something, just like two couples. Uh, we have a babysitter for the kids, and uh, yeah, but nothing too crazy. We're, we're, you won't see me at the nightclub or anything, but uh, but yeah, we'll have a little champagne and maybe watch some fireworks or something. Very nice. And uh, what about what about? Uh, actually, I got to ask about your your parents because you know Michigan Midwest background what was their thought like you, you you hit the score right but you were dealing poker so they knew you were kind of into poker was there ever a conversation like hey i think i'm going to play professionally was this a difficult conversation for your family or, your <clears throat> friend, or did they just support you from the from the or did it just kind of turn in i mean it wasn't long right you basically hit a 200k score and then next summer you, you win the main so uh, there wasn't a lot of time to argue or probably give you resistance but what was their their aptitude for it so my parents knew that i was really heavy into poker Right. When I was 14, that's when I started playing. And so I was a freshman in high school. And throughout high school, I probably had friends over once a week on average for four years, like hundreds of times to play poker. And I'd have little poker t- tournaments. I'd had like, I had two tables in my basement, chip set. Um, okay. And every time, and like I won at an obscene rate back then. A lot of my friends didn't, none of them ended up taking it as nearly as seriously as I'd like none of them are even still playing anymore. I don't think a couple like for fun, but not, uh, not like professionally or anything, but like I would go upstairs every night and be like, Hey, look, I want a hundred bucks. And so, so they understood that like I was good at it. Um, but at the same time, they really wanted me to go to college. They wanted me to get a degree. Uh, I don't have any gamblers in my family. So the thought of like, just playing poker full time as a job for the rest of your life and prepare and being able to re- provide for your kids. That's the kind of outlandish idea to most people. So as long as I got my degree and had a backup plan in case it didn't work out that they, they supported me. Very cool. And to see you play like at, you win the main event. I mean, they must've been so proud of course, but then, you know, you start firing some hundred K's 50 K's these type of buy-ins, the high rollers, you mentioned you just, you know, two fifty K bubbling uh, this type of stuff. Do they, do they worry? Like, do you think they give you, are they, are they sort of like, you know, calm down, make sure you're being smart. Or they just kind of trust you on that. Cause it sounds like yourself, you step back a little bit and saying, you don't necessarily, you know, those are stressful. You know, you, you don't need that variance maybe. So like, what is the uh, high roller, what do you believe about high rollers moving forward? Do you think that's something that 
you'll want to do a lot of some of, or just kind of play it by ear. Maybe some of the better value ones. Like, what do you think on, on that? You know, and, and, and what, and what, and when you sell, like at what point are you like 25 Ks, 50 Ks, hundred Ks, uh, where do you, um, you know, where, where do you draw the line where you're selling action and, and off lane some, some action? Um, mute my mic here. Sorry. It's loud. Uh, historically I, uh, have undersold to everything. I, I don't, I didn't sell a lot of action for, I mean, for like the hundred Ks I would sell a decent amount, but, um, but for like 25 Ks, a lot of times I would fire them all myself and it adds up. Like when you go on a little downswing and you lose like a couple hundred thousand dollars, you, you start to step back and be like, okay, maybe I'll take a break. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a fine line. I, I think it's good to sell a lot to these tournaments to just use proper bankroll management. But um, it's weird because in the, in like the nosebleed stakes, a lot of people, they sell t- like almost all their action. I mean, you, you've played a few of them. I'm sure you understand the, 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 the make to some degree. And, uh, and, and then they also swap a ton. So then I, I don't like that. Like when you're on the bubble and you know that like so-and-so has 10% of themselves and then they have like 5% of the guy next to them and 5% of the guy at the other end of the table, they're like heavily incentivized to not play any hands against each other, which makes it hard for somebody who doesn't swap or a businessman who doesn't sell or doesn't swap. Like they're just going to bubble the tournament a large percentage of the time, which it's just really unfortunate. There's nothing you can really do about it. You can't tell the people you have to have this much percent of you have yourself to play. You can't say you're not allowed to swap. There's no like, there's nothing you can really do about it other than just make the buy-in smaller. We don't need to play quarter million dollar buy-ins or hundred K buy-ins. It's kind of ridiculous, but uh, it, it's just tough. It's, and then the fields are so small. So like when you're on the bubble, there's like one or two tables left in most hundred Ks. The, Five, six people get paid. So you're at the final table and you're not even in the money yet. And if, if everyone else has pieces of each other, they're just going to stay away from each other. And it's not like that they're doing anything wrong. They're just, they're just doing what they should do. It, it's just tough. It's, a, it's, tough. It is, it, it's tricky. I like the Kristen, Alex Fox and Kristen Bicknell situation at the Venetian stuff like this, where it's like, <laughs> you know, you and I, or you, let's say you and Kata are playing against each other and maybe, maybe swap, maybe you didn't, you start getting into like your, is it your, your wife or brother? Is it your, one of your best friends? Like obviously at a fundamental level, like, yeah, you want to play everyone equally tough and go for it. But like, yeah, to your point, you start getting in little groups. You've got four guys that are on sort of a team, you know, they're not cheating, but they're, yeah, maybe they don't three bet the ace three suited. Maybe they don't, they fold the button with, you know, eight, 10 off when they would, you know, so like these type of things start happening. And like you're saying, it's kind of just unavoidable and it's uh it's a bit tricky. Right. And when you start talking about big money, this becomes more serious and more, there's more at stake. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's there's not really a great answer for that. So I think that, you know, to your point, it's yeah, you kind of play it by ear, see what maybe the, depending on the size of the field, the guarantee, you know, maybe you decide, you know, you, you draw the line, right? It's a little bit of play it by ear and what you think. But yeah, 20, 30 person field sizes, it's tough because that is going to you're going to run into that, um, uh, of yeah. course. Like, so. like in the big fields, you never run into that. But in like nosebleed stake tournaments with 30 people, like you've played some of the Alpha 8 tournaments, I feel like back in the day. Yeah. And so, yeah. so you understand those, some of those fields had like 10 people in them. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy, right? It is crazy. Um, uh, what do, do you play any sports? Uh, yeah, I, I, I not, not like competitively, but, uh, 
I like to play basketball. I have a little basketball court at my house. I, I played that growing up. I also played tennis growing up. Um, I like, I don't know if you really could call it a sport, but I, I enjoy playing. I'm a huge gamer. So like I played, I played billiards my whole life, ping pong, uh, darts, random stuff like that. I have a couple of pinball machines. I, I, I'm a huge, I go to Dave and Buster's a couple of times a month. So I'm, I'm a huge, uh, I, I like playing games. I like competing. Nice. Yeah. Dave and Buster's, that's a good place to, to get some wagers in for sure. You know, you start playing some uh, ski ball and stuff and it, it can get, get, get exciting if there's a little bit of money on it. So um, that, 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 that Dave Buster's, I haven't been a long time. That's uh that's, that's a cool spot. Um, a lot of questions about your next goal in poker. You've won the main event. You've won a WPT. I don't even know, like triple crown is that, I guess it used to be the EPT. Now there's stars championship P- party poker has a big series. Now the, you know, the, the millions. So I guess those kind of count. What, what is the goal? Is there, is it win the main event again? Is it just play your best poker? What's your goal in poker at this point? I mean, yeah, like winning a triple crown would be great, but so I guess that would be a goal. It's uh it's hard to set goals to like win a tournament with a thousand people. Cause like, I, I like to make my goals more easily attainable that, that have less, uh, that include less variance, for instance, like that's hard. I final tabled one last year and I, so I almost won, but, um, but yeah, triple crown would be awesome. Like winning the main event again would be incredible, but I, I don't, I don't set too many goals as far as, uh, as far as like winning poker tournaments, I just want to get better every day. That That's the goal to, to make less mistakes. Um, try not to bubble so many tournaments, but I don't, uh, I, I don't set too many goals as far as winning tournaments. Cause a lot of that's out of our control. For sure. And yeah. I, I, I agree with that, with the goal setting. Uh, what is, man, it's kind of, I can't really ask this one most memorable moment, in your poker career, I guess, you know, other than the main event in the WPT, would it be the first one that you got second, that story where you had a, you were all in for your last hundred case money playing blackjack, get the buy-in don't sleep. Is it, I mean, is that up there getting second and that, that just going home with that much cash with basically no money in your name? Would you say that's your most or uh, other yeah. than that? That, that, those are the top three, right? The main event. That would even be more memorable than the WPT, to be honest, just because if that doesn't happen, I might never, like say I don't cash that tournament and then I like graduate college and I have no money. Like I would have just like been a poker dealer played, but like the whole, the the rise to the top would have either not happened or would have taken a long time to happen. Cause it's, it's really hard to make it in poker. And, uh, that's why I wouldn't, I would never tell somebody to like quit their job to play poker. I, I think everyone should play poker if you want to, but, but have another stream of income to where you can, you don't have to rely solely on it. Cause l- life can be really stressful if that's your only stream of income, especially as a tournament poker player, I guess cash games are more reliable, but tournaments are just so much variance. For sure. Uh, is there an amount of money you would accept now to never play another hand of poker? Or what would that be? I should say, what would be the amount like off the top of your head without thinking too much about what that really means? Like, is there just a number where someone hands you a briefcase and you just never get to play a hand again? Um, it would be like well over a million dollars. I don't know how much, but I, I truly love the game. Um, I, I wouldn't take a, I wouldn't take a small amount, but if you told me to give me like $10 million or something, then it's, I'd, like it's very, it's possible. I mean, I have, I have children, so I, I have to think, uh, I have to put them first. So it would make their life a lot easier. 
uh, for sure. What about Bitcoin prediction 2021? We got a lot of crypto fans now that crypto's zooming again. Uh, will Bitcoin exceed 60K in 2021? Where do you feel it's, uh, you know, it's got legs right now? What's your sort of just one year prediction? So I predicted 50,000, but that was before this last run up. That's when it was like 50 or 19 or something. So now after, I mean, this happened so fast, we could see, I mean, we could see, I, I, I mean, nobody really knows, but um, yeah, well, I'll stick with 50,000. That, that's, I don't think that's that um, outlandish. I know most, most of my peers have very, uh, most of my peers predictions are, are a lot higher than that. And some, some still aren't aren't believers, but uh, but hopefully it keeps going up. It'll make uh, it'll make the poker community very happy. For sure. Uh, who inspired you as a poker player growing up? Is there you know guys on TV, seeing stuff? What, what were the guys you liked to watch the most when you were starting in poker and and would see TV and the, these characters we have? You know, a lot of there's not a lot of options, but anyone that stands out for you that you just like, man, I like how he played or I like how he carries themselves. Anyone in particular? <clears throat> I was a huge fan of Stu Unger, even though um, he's not with us anymore. I've never met him, but I, I've watched like documentaries. I've read lots of stories about him. I, I've talked to uh, the late Mike Sexton about him, and uh, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of of him and how he was like he like transcended the game at the time and the fact that he was just so much better than everyone was doing things that nobody else was doing and. Uh, he was just incredible. So I was a, I was a huge fan of, of, of him as a poker player. Yeah, for sure. Someone we didn't really get to see so much, maybe footage wise, you know, he, there's a little bit of stuff, but just the stories. And yeah, again, Mike Sexton, you know, rest in peace. He was on uh, always a good, very good friend of Stu's and always tell stories and kind of anecdotes about him as, uh, as well. And, and, you know, yeah, he's definitely, Definitely. I think they made the movie. What was the movie? Um, There's a movie about Stu Unger. I don't think it was done very well, but it was still like kind of cool to see that uh, biography. Do you know what I'm talking about? The guy from the Sopranos. Like the documentary autobiography type thing? Kind of. Yeah. It was, it was a movie about his life, but they had the guy from the Sopranos. One of the guys played him. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was, uh, yeah, basically like a, it was a movie about him. Um, yeah. I think it was yeah, but um, I'm blanking on the name, but I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it was OK, but it could have, you know what? It could have been a little better, I think. Um, uh, after the main event video uh, win, uh, you was there any big purchase that you said after the one you got a car after the uh, Hammond uh, horseshoe uh, bank, your whole role in play? Um, what about the main event? Did you did you get anything after that? I bought a house. Yeah, I, and, I bought a house in Vegas and uh yeah, I'm not a I'm not a very extravagant person. Like I have a sport, I have a Corvette that doesn't even work. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's had a lot of problems. But but uh, but yeah, I bought a house. That was my big purchase after the mint. And uh, okay, let's see. We're at house. That, that's nice. What was uh? So let's see. Did you buy anything? A lot of questions. People want to know what you what you uh, splurged on. What about the thoughts on real? kid poker mr negranu and doug polk this is this hand i guess they're halfway through basically i think doug's up like seven eight hundred k uh it turned in more of a love match than a than a grudge match I, which i kind of predicted i thought this would happen the two getting together and you know whatever but doug obviously um showing that that's his specialty his game what, what are your thoughts on this whole match the, did you bet on it was it obvious to you do you think this is uh do you think they'll continue like what's your whole thought on this this is a hot topic I definitely think they will continue. Um, I did not bet on it, but if I were to bet on it, to be honest, I think I would have bet Negranu at 
at uh, plus 500 or whatever it was, plus 400, which as of now would have been a very bad bet. Um, but like same like with the chance against Galfon match, I almost bet chance, but I, I didn't bet that at all either. But I think when you play heads up with two people who know what they're doing, I don't think the edge is as big as some people some people think it is. Right. It, yeah, comes, it comes down to card distribution a lot. Right. Yeah, there could be, you know, even like in, in, in like a several key hands, it could be uh, or whatever. It doesn't necessarily. Right. If you're getting laid a big price, it's kind of attractive to take the uh, take the dog. What about the the Trump situation and, and betting? And, you know, there's still lines and people are still even getting bets down. Uh, is this over? Is this thing case closed? Or do you think that Trump has a as a as the Trump card? Has he got a chance to do some uh, just asinine situation where it could happen? Or is this one in the books? I think this one's in the books. Um, I did not bet on that either. I, um, but yeah, I, I think this one's about over. I, I saw Bill Perkins was not too long ago. He was still he still wanted to bet Trump. So the fact that that I, I know it was as a hedge, but but yeah, still. Yeah. Hedging it, but you know, it's crazy, and it's funny because, like, it's actually funny the betting. Uh, a lot of bets are especially with like Timex and other people are betting in Bitcoin, which like things have escalated very, very seriously from like eight or 10k a coin when a lot of bets were made, or 12k to uh, you know, just keep going up and up. So it's uh, it's pretty, pretty wild. Like, uh, you know, that the poker community is great, there's always bets, people want to bet on fighting and boxing and, and and bike riding and whatever, right? People just like to bet, so it's uh, it's it's fun. It's it's always fun to see the action, whether you're in it or not, and see people squirming. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of egos in poker. So it's uh, it, sometimes you don't have to bet. You just get to watch the, the show um, go on. All right, uh, last question, online or live? Uh, if you could only do one, you know, it's tough. You're the kind of a live guy, right? You've won the big, big live events, but you got family now, three kids. Being able to play online is kind of nice. Well, if you can only do one or the other, which, which do you prefer? And then just just take all things considered. Let's say it's moving forward from now on. You can only do one live. You're yeah, live. That, it, it's just it's just way easier, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you, I, you I, say live. That would have been disappointing, I think, to too many. You know, you've uh, you, you've you've done the live stuff. You've got the the hardware. You've got a main event. It'd be it'd be disappointing, I think, an answer. So that was uh, that was good. I'm glad I'm glad you stuck with that. I agree. Uh, any other any other stuff that you want to that you want to touch on again, you got your Twitter, you can check out Ryan's Hendon mob. He's a family man. Now three kids. Um, any chance, uh, like, let me just ask one more question about staking because you, you sell the friends sometimes. Have you ever considered to let people like on a site like stake Kings or you stake, put something out there where you let you put out like, Hey, I'm going to sell $10 max a person. You only have to deal with one thing. There's no like, you know, cause part of the problem with this stuff and you probably don't love this either. When you deal with selling to people, if you sell like 5% through 10%, five, you got to tax, you got to collect, you got to pay, you got to all this shit. The nice thing about these things is if you just put it up there and you let your fans or friends, people want to buy it, they can just buy it and it's all done in one place. Have you ever considered that? Do you have any interest in that? Or do you just like to deal with like a couple people and you swap and or sell to a couple friends and family? Like, what do you think about the staking stuff? I, I love it. I think the staking platform on Gigi is incredible. Like you said, it just, it makes everything so much easier when you don't have to collect, pay out, do, do the math, um, worry about taxes, the tax forms, all that stuff. It just does everything for you. Um, staking is awesome. I've used stakings in the past. I've yeah, used it yeah. in a long time, but 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 I've used it a few times. Yeah, I'm biased. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm involved with them and the company. So that's, you know, part of why I'm asking, but I just, I personally with Twitch, I love it because it's great. Like people like to sweat, right? Like it, it, you're not, it's not feasible to get a piece of Ryan Reese. If you're just watching this in the thing, you don't know you, there's no way to get a hold of you or even you're not, you know, that people want to buy $10 worth and sweat a big buy. And it's uh, it's pretty cool. And I know a lot of people use it. So yeah, I mean, hopefully in the future it can do some more of that. And uh, you know, again, we got, we got our one bet. I got, we got a, we got a dinner. We can maybe double it up or we got it. We got, it's been a while, man. We should, we got, we're going to have to do something once uh, the world calms down, whether it's Michigan or Vegas or somewhere in the world, we'll, we'll have our kids. And my son's around the age of one of your children. And, and that, I mean, within like a year or two, and it's all the same anyway, they'll all play and have fun. So we'll, uh, we'll make sure to do that. And uh, yeah, man, I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to draw this, this link and we're going to give someone a $111 ticket courtesy of party poker so i'm gonna let you choose it i'm gonna load that up but anything else like again you i think we covered a ton is there anything else that uh that you want to touch on or, or, or highlight or exciting coming up I mean, we, we did cover a lot no not not, not really I, I think we pretty much covered everything i'm just looking forward to the world getting back to normal and we can play live poker again it is uh is if if you I think I sort of ask your favorite places, what is one, if like things open up right now that you just will definitely go to, like, what is your favorite, uh, your favorite overall stop? You mentioned Barcelona, you mentioned a few others, like what's the one that if you can only go to one this year, they get say, we're, we're opening back up huge tournament. Where's the place you just say, I want to go, I want to take my family and, and I just want to be there. You get one choice. I'd probably go to Florida, to be honest, Flor the, the Seminole hard rocks, my favorite stop in, in America. And I'm not, I don't really want to. I was just with my family for Christmas back in Michigan, so I don't. Uh, I don't really want to fly too far. It's really hard with three kids, one being a newborn. Uh, th those flights are just not that fun. So. That's, that's, that's part of it too. When you start talking about traveling for poker, when you have three kids, if you're ringing the whole family, now you, get, you know, is it nanny? Is it family members? Is it multiple hotel rooms, transportation? The whole. It's like a real production. It's not yeah. even. Uh, bounce around, get a flight in a hotel, so it's uh, it can 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 be pretty pretty expensive. All right, well let's uh, let's draw this. I'm gonna go ahead. I already loaded it all up. I'm gonna choose a winner. Uh, you tell me when, and someone's gonna win a $111 ticket courtesy of Party Poker right here. The one shot ticket. I've already seen someone bink this from our uh, from our ticket for like 20k, um, which is pretty incredible. Nice. But uh, yeah, let, let's see if we give it. It's coming from Mr. Reese, man. Come on, this guy. He's a he's a he's a world class talent, but he also he's got a little luck in his. If you get ace king of hearts and you get this ticket just rip it and you're gonna be good so uh you tell me when all right a few more seconds i'll i'll, I'll give you the go ahead yeah I'm, I'm ready go boom so here we go uh someone's getting it we're gonna go and message them and it is costi pay who i believe has won stuff before let me just real quick send a message it looks familiar oh that's a ukraine uh, is, is it ukrainian i think it might be um pretty sure he is um Wow, there it is, man. That, that, and, he's, and he's won before. He's lucky. Yeah, see, this is uh, I think it's the same one. Let's see, Costi Pay. Let's just take a look. You, how you think it's Ukrainian based on what the the logo or the, name? the little the little crest? I could be wrong though. I'll have to ask my wife. Um, I don't know why. But those that. are Ukrainian colors too. Yeah, I'm feeling he's Ukrainian. Uh, is that the? I, is that? What I don't know. <laughs> I, I should probably know this. I honestly don't know. You don't know. Okay. Well, it looks, yeah. Either way, the name sounds, you know, fun European. It could be the colors. Yeah, for sure. I know that's the Ukrainian uh, color. So either way, Kostya, yeah. Kostya, good luck. 
Congrats. Good luck. And yeah, from Mr. Ryan and I, man, Michigan in the house. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime after a big score and, and catch up again. And, and like I said, man, stay safe. Happy holidays. Thanks for making the time and, and we'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.